1986 and intersectionality, the intersection between various oppressions, was not a word I knew. All my life, I'd been teased about my mom's Burmese cooking and my disability. Kids called me a dog. Adults regularly treated me as stupid and dumb before I even opened my mouth. Plus, people would touch me without my permission. This is something I shared with my African-American allies and how I initially connected with the movement. But I didn't know my own history, that people of color and people with disabilities have been fighting together for centuries. And some of my greatest heroes, like Harriet Tubman, were disabled. The history I learned was primarily disability-free. There is another visibly disabled Asian at my college, but she was in a wheelchair. I had claimed the label person of color, despite my light skin, but I still felt uncomfortable calling myself disabled. I wasn't in a wheelchair, and I thought I wasn't disabled enough. This despite the fact that I almost flunked out my first year because this was before the American with Disabilities Act, ADA, and I didn't have the accommodations I needed to pass my classes. What I needed was a laptop so I could take notes in class and write in my dorm room or the library and work quietly by myself. My college refused my request for a laptop. It was expensive, $3,000, and they would only offer me what they had done for decades, none of which worked for me. With no ADA to back me up, there was nothing I could do but beg my parents for a laptop. I was lucky. My parents could both afford a laptop and believed in me to buy this then new technology. It was my first action as a disabled activist. I became known as a student with a laptop. Students tripped over the cord. One student asked me if it was solar powered. Professors complained about the noise of typing and threatened to kick me out of their classes. With no ADA, I had little recourse if they did. I went to my dean and she passed me along to the head dean. My laptop, the cause of so much kerfuffle, was my salvation. My new dean asked to meet with me every week. I knew she was advocating for me about the laptop, but unbeknownst to me, she was also teaching me study skills skills I'd never learned in high school. To be fair to my parents, they did get me physical and occupational therapy as a young child. However, the top neurologists they took me to told my parents I was mentally retarded. My mom loves to tell the story of how they kept testing and testing me over and over. And finally, with a look of great frustration, I deliberately jammed a square peg into a round hole, thereby proving in the doctor's mind that I was stupid. My parents tried the therapy anyway. 
I knew the therapist treated me differently from other adults and the tasks were often boring, but then adults were still mysterious to my young child mind. But for my parents, they found it painful to see me treated in their words as a dog because the therapists would say, good girl, whenever I did some simple task. They stopped my therapies and they never asked for therapy or accommodations again. And while they didn't tell me about this until I was succeeding in college, it influenced how I thought about myself. In 1990, the ADA passed and my college responded with grumbles and complaints that they'd have to install ramps into old buildings, ruining their architecture. They were doing fine, thank you very much. They had one student in a wheelchair and they just moved any classes she wanted to take into the few accessible classrooms they had. Even I, with my nascent formation of a disabled identity, felt a great sense of injustice and wrote a scathing letter to my college newspaper. Like all institutions, my college did install ramps in all the buildings. I wish I could say they installed ramps in convenient locations, but no, they were often well hidden in the back with discreet signs so you had to know the secret way to find them. I know this story makes my particular college look bad, but sadly, my college was better than most in that they did spend considerable time to help me graduate with good grades. The ADA still has a lot of flaws, but it has changed my life. The ADA legally defines my service dog as a necessary piece of equipment who is allowed to go wherever I go. Until I got a service dog, I didn't know what life was like to not be treated as automatically stupid by strangers. It's been hard for me to know which stereotype the person believes unless the person starts yelling at me in Spanish. I led an anti-racism workshop with Reverend Amy and one of my big regrets is that I wasn't able to explain intersectionality well enough. Disabled Asians are not treated as smart and capable, as my colleague in college can attest. She is now a leader in the gastrointestinal disorders movement, a disability most people are intensely uncomfortable talking about, let alone advocating for. I'm incredibly grateful to my allies, people of color and disabled people who have really been the catalyst for huge changes in my life. I don't think I'd be here speaking to you today if it weren't for my African-American allies in college who patiently explained to me white supremacy, a shorthand for a system of oppression of multiple peoples, different skin colors, disability and poverty to name a few. That it was not my fault that people couldn't see me for who I am and treated me as less than. That I am enough that I belong, that I have the right to be treated with dignity and respect. And I leave you with the fact that half of people shot by police are disabled people of color and black lives matter. <laughs>